My mom got her degree in art, was an incredible artist, and she, once she had my sister and I, she stopped. She stopped painting, and watercolor's her specialty, and she did not paint for 30 plus years. And it was because the anxiety and the fear of, what if I don't know how to do this anymore? What if I've lost all my skills? Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Hey, it's Lisa. What you just heard was Jasmine from Shenanigans, the all-female improv comedy troupe we heard a little bit from last episode. They're going to be sharing more today towards the end of the episode as part of a larger conversation about flow and our inner critic. Now, flow is that experience you have when you're completely immersed and fully present in a creative task and you don't even notice time passing. It's the magic of creativity. And the inner critic, you know what I'm talking about. All of us have a version of this, right? Whether it's the inkling of self-doubt that keeps you from trying something new or regret for getting out of practice with a creative outlet that you used to love, which somehow turns into the feeling that it's too late to pick it up again because you'll never be good enough. Or maybe it's just a drone in the background chipping away at your self-confidence even while you put yourself out there. Whatever type of inner critic you have, it's keeping you from being able to enjoy the best parts of creativity. And for me, that means flow. So in this episode, we're learning how to set ourselves up to succeed so we can spend less time in paralysis and more time in creating. So first, I'd like to share with you something that my brother said. This is James from Maroon 5. I asked him about writer's block because as a career musician, there's a lot of pressure to keep creating. His career is always writing on his ability to get past distractions and find the flow. And he painted a fascinating picture for me about how he's evolved to get better at this by changing his habits. I promised you in episode one that we were going to hear about his rock star methods. Here it is. While we were making our our first records, there was a real pressure. You really wanted to get your songs and your input onto the records. So at times I put probably too much pressure on myself to have a real grind mentality towards like, okay, I'm going to generate, you know, a hundred ideas. I'm going to wake up every morning and, and, you know, work for this many hours until till I get something. And that's that can be effective for a while, but you eventually will burn out with that sort of attitude. <laughs> I wanna pause here because James brought up burnout, and that's a pretty important element in this equation. I can't name a single one of my friends who doesn't have, somewhere in their house, the leftover remains of a burned out craft, like knitting yarn or gardening tools or an unrestored vehicle parked behind the house. I mean, we all burn out. It's easy. And whether that burnout is because of self-criticism or because of all the enthusiasm around starting a new creative project can make it increasingly difficult to fit it into our lifestyle or a combination of both, being able to pace ourselves is critical when we're trying to create a sustainable practice of creativity in our lives. 
I just want to throw that out there because even though we're going to keep talking about creative output, what James is about to describe isn't just a way to overcome creative block. It's also how we can establish a long-term relationship with our creative side without burning out. Creative output really comes from your habits more than anything else. Which is so encouraging because you can control that. You can totally control that. And so for me, that meant at the times when I've been the most prolific, it's when I set the hours that I'm going to be working, um, you know, with a with an in and an out. And usually I've found that eventually for me, the the best time for me is earlier in the day. Because the more things that happen throughout the day, the just less inclined I'm going to be able to focus. I feel like my consciousness at the beginning of the day is fresh and clean and clear. And as the day progresses and you get more calls and start to worry about more things, there's just there's just more piled on top of it that makes it harder to, to be creative. I just have to pop in here and second what James is saying. There's something about the morning. And if you can put a little energy into being creative before the chaos of life has had a good 16 hours to throw you off your game, it's easier to find the flow. That inner critic doesn't have as much fuel because your day is a blank canvas. I know that the more fatigued I am, the easier it is to get down on myself. So this kind of feels like a hack. Now, I will say that with kids, mornings can feel like a hurricane. And if it's not realistic to add one more thing to your morning, that's okay. Sustainable is better than perfect, especially when we're trying to avoid burnout. James's next tip, however, could apply to any schedule. I had to be a little militant with my phone and technology. I found that if I got up and didn't check my email, didn't check my social media, but went straight into creativity, straight into making music, then I was gonna be able to access those flow states a lot easier. Hmm. So I, I, would, I would get into the habit where I would work all morning until after lunch, I could check my email, check the social media, return some calls and texts and stuff, but just leave the phone out of sight until then. And that gets harder and harder to do. Yeah, it takes a lot of discipline. And on the other end of that, you know, for a while, that worked so well for me and that resulted in so much music. I was like, well, that's the way I have to create. But that's not realistic either. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times where I'm going to have things to do in the morning. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have to take those little windows of time when they present themselves. You know, I got a couple hours here. I got a half an hour here and use it to work on the music when when you can. And I think that's way more realistic for most people who are juggling job, kids, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the ability to sort of start on a dime and stop on a dime, that, that's a really great skill. It's, it's, it's hard to do, though, sometimes. Starting on a dime and stopping on a dime, I have to say off the bat that my brain doesn't love the idea of this. I would so much rather have a three-hour block to sit down and paint or write. I don't think of flow as being something that I can get in and out of quickly. But like James mentioned, being able to stop and start like that is a skill of its own that you can acquire and develop. And it's a necessary one for anyone who has a demanding life. 
If I think about it, there are absolutely creative pursuits that I'm putting off because I'm waiting to have enough time to do them. And that's probably the perfectionist in me. I like doing things well. I like finishing what I start, and it doesn't feel worth it if I can't give it the time it deserves. There's my own inner critic talking, of course. But how much am I missing out on in the meantime? James started out by describing habits, little ways you can modify your lifestyle to promote more creativity. But I can't gloss over his next point. Real life is going to get in the way. And if you want to find the flow and keep creating, you have to give yourself the permission to do it in small doses, where it fits in your lifestyle. Sustainability over perfection. Let's switch gears a little bit because I want to introduce you to Jay Kirk Richards. He's an accomplished painter with a huge body of work, especially on Judeo-Christian themes. You may have seen some of it. And he had an interesting point about the value of small amounts of creativity, like what you might be able to squeeze into a half hour on a busy day. And he started by mentioning the I could never do that phenomenon that we talked about so much in episode one. I hear so many people say like, I couldn't even, I have absolutely no creativity. I would never, you know, I couldn't even draw a stick figure. I've heard that sentence so many times. And I just <laughs> think, like, people are selling themselves short. I know that when they were kids, they drew. Yeah. You know. And didn't think about it. Yeah. I'm not saying everybody needs to draw, but most people have some sort of, like, creative thing that's kind of gnawing at them. Like, yeah. Eh, but, but. But I don't really, you know, I, I can't do that. You know, they're just talking themselves out of it. If there's something you're talking yourself out of, just try it. Just set some time aside to get better at it. Uh, watch a YouTube video. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really love that Ira Glass quote about there's this gap between our tastes and our abilities. And, of course, when we start making something, we're not. it's not as good as... You know, that person, I had a teacher who once said, he was doing a demo in class, and he said, now don't get discouraged when you're watching me do this because it's like you're watching the Andre Agassi of painting. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, that's a bold statement, (laughs) but maybe he's right, like he's really good. But the point is he he had multiple 10,000 hours and he had, yeah. And most of us don't have that, but we do have the seed of something, right? And there is value in just the very act of the development of the seed, regardless of how big the plant gets, right? Value in the development of the seed. I love that. And the principle of what Kirk is saying, the quantifiable measures of what we're making, they don't matter. Who's judging? The act of making has value by itself. In addition to artists and creative professionals, I wanted to get a scientific perspective on this inner critic and the way we might be keeping ourselves from enjoying our full creative potential. Dr. Josh Katz is a researcher who studies creativity and had some interesting findings related to the way we judge creative work. Have you ever been in a meeting and thought, there's way too much text on that PowerPoint, or I would have given this presentation in a totally different way? Or maybe you're listening to someone tell you about how they solved a problem and you thought, oof, that's not what I would have done. Dr. Katz pointed out that sometimes the only way to quiet your inner critic is to get ahead of it. Shut it down when it's judging other people. Don't think about how you could have changed that class. 
try to stop yourself from rewriting everyone else's speeches. Don't yeah. make other people's PowerPoints. It will drive you insane. <laughs> so some of it is just the acceptance that thinking to realizing that thinking too much about this is not good for you. Don't not trying to run everyone else's business and not yeah. trying to 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 do everything for everyone else. So some of it is and it's not easy. No, especially um, so, as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't do it yeah. that way, but you go right ahead. Like, that exactly. can create a lot of discomfort for everyone. Yeah, and and it's it is really hard to know. Okay, when is it worth me saying yeah. something, and when is it not? And it's just you know keeping it a little bit more. It's not never say anything. It's not sure, never try to sure. redo because you know who, who knows what your kids will be wearing at that point. But um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I would have been in, you know, rain boots, pants on my head, nothing else. You know, this is a funny point because it reminds me of something that came through in our body image series as we had all those conversations about objectification and self-worth. In that battle against our inner critic, we had to look so closely at the way we labeled and judged other people because it was inevitable that we were judging ourselves in the same way. And in fact, it was sometimes easier to start changing our mindset when we applied that grace to others first. Of course, they're more than a body. I am too. In this context of creativity, I hadn't considered that the same principle applies. But hey, an inner critic is an inner critic. It's shameless. Whether it's bringing you down about how you look or how you think, it is relentless in pumping out messages that could keep you from living a fulfilled life. I want to dismantle one more of those messages, the misconception that creativity is about making something that is altogether new. If you've ever stopped yourself because your inner critic says that what you're making is cliche or unoriginal, this is for you. Dr. Katz pointed out how this nefarious little idea could gum up the whole machine and how the solution, bear with me because this sounds a little counterintuitive, is less creativity. Even when you're trying to be creative, you don't have to be creative in every aspect. I think sometimes if people are trying to do, let's say, painting, they try to be completely different or completely new in everything they do. And one of the things to me is that you don't have to be that different to be different. And when you look at a lot of these great works of art, some of the things is that they really do resemble these previous works. Um, and they really draw on old techniques and things like that. So you don't have to do everything differently. And so one of the things that I think ha- has helped me in creativity is as much as possible, you want to pull from old sources. You want to learn new things. And so when I write a paper, which is probably one of my big things of novelty, usually the idea that I'm trying to get across is the creative thing. It's something new to me. It's something new to the reader. But what I don't do is I don't try to have a new structure. Mm-hmm. I don't try to reinvent the wheel in the way that I'm writing or in the way that I'm explaining other explaining data because it's hard enough trying to get that idea across and then trying to say, oh, and I ran my study in this new and weird way. And I wrote it in iambic no- pentameter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it, exactly. And it rhymes. Yeah, you're like, that's yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, I co- and I created an entire new language yeah. to discuss this in because I think it's better. No, just, you know, 
it's hard enough to be to do something really new in some ways. Make it easy on yourself in the other ways. Yeah. So I'm always looking back at other papers or what before I send mm-hmm. to a journal, I just look at other papers from that journal. And I'm not copying the ideas, but the form, I'm just look okay, how did they explain this? What what yeah. was their structure? What, even what do their tables look like? Mm-hmm. Um these really simple things. And so in in pursuits like Painting and music, you know, you're, if, if you're going to be a painter, your subject could be something novel, but you don't have to create your own paints. Right. You don't have to invent your own brushes. Or if you are going to create your own paints, start off with something easy. Start off with a landscape. Yeah. And, you know, maybe making your own paints is the wild thing. And so being less creative to achieve more creative success is, I guess, what we say. Dr. Katz says it's okay to be derivative. And artists know this, nothing is new. Have you seen that thing where so many of the biggest movie franchises, they all share a lot of plot points, characters, and structure? Keep it simple, sister. Copying creative works that you love is a great place to start. Now, at the beginning of the episode, you heard Jasmine from The Shenanigans talking about her mom. We're going to hear the rest of that story as well from a few others that Lauren, Kimberly, Katie, and Jasmine shared as they pondered their experiences on stage and off and the relationship between flow and our inner critic. I feel like there's always like a resistance before the flow. This is Lauren Johnston speaking. Like, you have to push through that piece where, like, it never fails before we have a show or before I do something. I'm like, ugh, I just would be better off staying in my jammies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so pushing through, I know my husband writes, and it always just takes a while to push through that resistance part of it before he gets in the flow. And so um, I can certainly feel it, but I feel like you have to work to get there and, and, and not give up and not give in to kind of our lazy inner self. Yeah, for me, it's the... It's being fully present, and you don't even have to get rid of the inner critic, but just, like, turning down the volume of that inner critic of, is this going to be funny? Is this going to be good? Is anybody going to like it? Is And, you know, both, like, fear of personal judgment and also fear of maybe, are we not going to connect? Maybe nobody connects to this art and things like that. And so if you can just even just for a second, turn down the volume of that inner critic and allow yourself to fully be present, I feel like that's where the flow happens. And the flow is not um, artistic or creative perfection. It's just allowing whatever to happen, whatever will happen, allowing it to happen kind of a thing. I have to pause here because of what Jasmine just said. How you don't even have to get rid of the inner critic, but just turn it down. I think that strikes me because my focus during this episode has been on silencing the inner critic, destroying it. And ironically, that probably comes from a perfectionist tendency that I have. Realistically, we may not be able to completely shush the little motor that is running in the background with discouraging thoughts, but maybe we don't have to in order to overcome it. Choosing to ignore it, even if it doesn't go away, is turning down the volume. Kimberly had a story about this too, acknowledging the fear and the discomfort, but not letting it stop you. I I noticed this about myself during our last show particularly, that I was in the flow and my brain tried to take me out of it because mm. I thought, oh no, this is taking a long time. It was when we were hosting our, one of our games <laughs> and Katie and I were 
really just riffing and it was so much fun. And I took myself out of that state just for a second to think like, oh, I'm probably taking too much time. But then immediately my thought was, but this is so much fun. What if I just what if I just kept going though? And we did, and we did go over time, but nobody cared. Everyone loved it. Everyone was having a great time. So for me, it's not taking myself out of the flow when I feel like I'm in it because I'm worried about any external factor. It could be anything. But staying in the flow can be harder sometimes than getting in it. I feel so inspired by this idea. And Kimberly's right, getting into the flow and staying in the flow are two different skills that come with their own challenges. I'm thinking about that half an hour again, which according to my brother is enough to be creative if you practice getting in and out of it on a dime. If you remember from last episode, the shenanigans have a ritual where they start their practice by singing a song together about their day to shake off whatever happened earlier and to get in tune with each other. Katie, who is not only a shenanigan, but also a voice you may recognize as a friend of the show, Katie Craig, she talked a little more about this, how little rituals of creativity can make it easier for us to find the flow, even in smaller, spontaneous opportunities or windows of time. And for reference, Katie has eight kids, so uh, she knows the struggle. Um, is true to me is that it takes practice to get yourself into the flow on a regular basis, right? And maybe that's what we're doing is we're practicing, like, and some of it, it gets easier when you have people that feel familiar, like, okay, this is what we do when we're together. And some of it, I think, is routine that we do. Like, when I pick up knitting, (laughs) I knit you guys. When I pick up (laughs) knitting, (laughs) then that is, like, really fast and instinctive, right? Because it's very meditative very quickly. Um, But I think that those kind of things that we do, I think they become ritual that helps us to get there faster and that maybe helps us to stay there. You know, maybe the people um, help us to to get there and to, to be able to stay there and to be able to feel comfortable and, and um, feel easy there. Well, and there has to be a willingness to make mistakes and not mm-hmm. and allow it not to be perfect and to just, um, like you said, turn down the, the self-judgment. This is Lauren again. I love, there's a little art book my kids have. It's like a board book that's like beautiful oops and it shows like a little blob or mistake and then they turn it into a cute picture on the second page. And I think, you know, in in improv and in art, like everything can turn into that beautiful oops. Sometimes those things that we don't plan or our mistakes are are the most beautiful things. And I imagine that's the same way for, for most creative forms is that those mistakes, by being open and allowing yourselves to, to make them, you can create some beautiful things. Like Lauren is saying, sometimes pushing past the fear of mistakes or even embracing mistakes can unlock your creativity. And having that attitude is so important for flow. What can you create when you're not worried about the outcome? Jasmine had some beautiful examples of this from her own family. My dad is a music educator and he would always teach his students stage fright is a form of selfishness, which is such a, a controversial opinion. <laughs> but I I love that because if you have stage fright, like it's okay to be nervous and excited and things like that. But if you have stage fright to the point that you are so worried about what other people are going to think of you or what's going to happen, you usually like 
seal that fate, but you also are preventing yourself from sharing whatever creativity and whatever gift that you have. And so if you can, again, just like say, okay, yeah, it's I'm nervous because I care. I want to do a good job. I care about this thing. Or this is something near and dear to my heart, whatever your creativity is. But don't let that like stop you from creating. My mom, um, she got her degree in art, was an incredible, you know, artist. And she, once um, she had my sister and I, she stopped. She stopped painting and watercolors her specialty. And she did not paint for 30 plus years. And it was because of the anxiety and the fear of what if I've lost all my skills? What if, what if I don't know how to do this anymore? And I still remember it was, we were at a family get together and I, <laughs> kind of like lovingly bullied my mom into putting pencil to paper and just kind of recreating a picture of my sister dancing. And it was like perfection. And now, several years later, she is creating again and she's doing these watercolors and and she's not worried about like, I have to sell all these paintings or anything like that, but she picks things that she loves and and it's still there and it fuels her soul again. And I am just so proud of her for doing that. But it's a real thing to have that um, imposter syndrome and that, and that fear. This story speaks to me. I mean, talk about a happy ending. It's still there and it fuels her soul again. I think it serves as a reminder that our inner critic is not looking out for us. It's looking out for other people's imagined opinions when what really matters is being able to feed our souls. And Jasmine's mom isn't even in this conversation. But doesn't that say something too? One person stepping out of her comfort zone and reviving an old creative love, not for anyone else, but for herself, that's inspiring. I haven't even met her, and I'm inspired just hearing her daughter talk about it. There's one more story that we're going to listen to here, told by Kimberly, and it reinforces the idea that sometimes the inner critic and our fear is just present whether we like it or not, but it doesn't have to stop us. I think it takes a lot of courage to be brave enough to be bad at something yeah. that other people can see. That's true. I yeah. was invited to do an, a type of exercise class that I had not tried before. I am scared to mention it. <laughs> so that I bet I, I can anyone guess. to judge me. Um, <laughs> but I thought I'm absolutely terrified because I uh, I'm going to look very foolish because I've never done it before. I'm a beginner. But the friend that asked me to go with her, I felt like she needed me to say, let's be beginners together. Instead of I'm afraid of how I'm going to look. What if I look stupid? Because she might have had those same thoughts. What if I look stupid? But instead saying, let's be brave. Let's go be terrible at something at first and then see if we love it. And then she actually loves it. She goes like four or five times a week. She's doing like the craziest, amazing physical stuff. It's, <laughs> it's not for me, but she's amazing. And it just took a little bit of courage to go do a new thing badly and be willing to do that in front of people, knowing that it's not going to look pretty. It's not going to be great, but it's, it's absolutely worth it to at least try. It's worth it to at least try. I love that message. If you take anything away from this episode, I hope it's this. 
Letting yourself do something imperfectly is what's going to allow you to find your flow now and long-term. Take smaller bites, like the half hour James was suggesting. Resist the impulse to card your own wool. Store-bought yarn is great when you're starting out. And whether the little voice in your head is launching darts at your own efforts or at other people's PowerPoints, you have the power to quiet it by saying, it doesn't have to be good. It's valuable because it is. I'm going to do it anyway, today. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio, hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by Becca Hurley and McKay Menden with help from Avery Stonely and post-production by Gracie Davis and Josh Fouts. If something in this episode helps you find the flow or quiet your inner critic, we want to hear about it. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. And a special thanks to everyone who's sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving us ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We read them all. It goes such a long way and we're very grateful. We'll be right back.